kind of angry. And I, I don't know, but I think less for myself than more for like, again, I have to watch my son be like hurt by this relationship with his dad. And so I'm trying to coach my child through his own ability to listen to himself. I can't fix it. I can't control my ex-husband. All I can kind of try and do is guide my kid through it. Welcome to The Signal Podcast, the podcast that raises your frequency. I'm Maury Fontanez, purpose coach to some of the leading voices in our culture today, from top CEOs to Hollywood stars, best-selling authors to world-class artists. In coaching these incredible humans, one truth has become abundantly clear. No matter who we are, we all carry pain, joy, and the desire to feel connected to a sense of purpose. This podcast is my way of extending some of the powerful lessons of my proven method to you so that hopefully you too can be inspired to heal the white noise of your limiting beliefs and tune into the signal of your intuitive wisdom. Welcome to Signal. This conversation is with Amanda. Amanda is a freelance art director. She's also a divorced mom of a 12-year-old son. And today we get into the dynamic of co-parenting with her ex-husband and how that's impacting her own life and the life of her son. And we really zero in on some limiting belief systems from childhood that have created this less than fulfilling dynamic and try to figure out how we can shift her perspective to create a more expansive experience for herself and her son. Hey, Signal listeners, a couple quick disclaimers before we get started. Maury is not a licensed therapist, and this is not a therapy session. Intuition and purpose coaching with Maury is usually a six-month process, and what you're about to hear is just a snippet of what these sessions sound like. That said, this is a real coaching session with real people featuring real strategies that Maury uses in her method. All right, let's get to today's episode. Amanda, for the next hour, we are going to go down a roadway to try to create clarity for you in something in your life that really is keeping you feeling stuck or that is really what I call rote thinking in your mind, kind of constantly playing in your mind. If you could say that in an hour from now, you had clarity or empowerment or a strategy around one thing, what would that be? I, this is, I don't know if this is like too, too broad, but, but generally like, um, just like, like moving forward, stop being like, I can't seem to just choose a direction. I'm just like sitting here and I'm, it's like compounding and I'm like, just like getting worse. <laughs> mm. And when you say getting worse, what do you mean? Um, procrastination, like, um, you know, to like a self-sabotaging level. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And when you say moving forward, what do you want to move forward? My living situation, my I mean, I, I say career, but I guess I mean more just like what I'm like doing with with my time. Um and uh, just sort of maybe just giving myself permission to like let go of 
whatever expectations I may have like had for myself, for my life, for my time or like the path, you know what I mean? Like I was never a person that was like, when I'm this age, I will have done this. I will, I have to be married by the time I do this. Like I never approached things that way. And yet somehow I feel like (laughs) whatever it was going to be, it's not this, (laughs) you know, I just sort of, I've also always been like a really optimistic person. And I find that I'm like, not like, I'm just sort of like, feel like I'm like caught in this negativity. And you know, I'm, the, the things that we do that we that we replay and the like the, the stories that we tell ourselves create for ourselves whatever that um you know just keeps kind of like cycling around in there that I don't I don't like it yeah I'm hearing a lot of disappointment in your voice are you That's disappointed yeah. yeah probably what's disappointing money work relationships all of it where I live like <laughs> I did not I meant to be in Boston for like a year and you know, now it's been, geez, I don't even know, maybe like 17, 18. And, you know, I'm like co-parenting here um, with a very difficult individual. Don't know that I can go anywhere, at, you know, for a while. So I have to kind of like make peace with that too. Hard. You feel a little trapped, huh? Yeah. 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 Super trapped. So if I were to hand you a magic wand and tell you to wave it and suddenly life would look completely different and the way that it would look was basically a manifestation of whatever you desired. What would it look like after you waved the magic wand? And be specific. Um, I've tried to have this conversation with myself and there are like a lot of different things that I could see. I mean, would I have gone back to school in astrobiology and would I be like, you know, I don't know. I just feel like doing something that matters because while I enjoy what I do and I am think that I'm good at it. It's essentially advertising and, you know, that's the devil's work. So like, what, 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 what am I spending the time and energy? Like, you know, even when I had a job that, um, that I really loved, like I loved the travel. I loved like the people I worked with. I loved like what I, what I was doing. Um, it was also when I was going through just a horrific divorce with a really young kid and, you know, I wasn't there, like I wasn't home and I wasn't there for my kid and that, that mattered more. So that's not an answer to your question. That's the non-answer. Um, no, you're getting there. So you told me your career would feel what I'm hearing is more purposeful. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then what about your where you would live? Oh, I would love to be um, in the Pacific Northwest. My mom's side of the family is from the uh, Seattle area and north of there. And like when I, I, I moved a lot in my life um, when I was a kid. But I spent like my my young years like like in Idaho and and Washington State. I, I've always felt like I I didn't I didn't want to be in Boston. I didn't intend to be in Boston, and now I'm just like here forever. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, okay, so we're living in the Pacific Northwest. We're doing a job that feels more purposeful. What is your the rest of your life look like? What about your social and romantic life? Romantically, I don't know. People have kind of stopped asking me when I'm going to be dating or if I'm dating or who I'm dating. I sort of like think to myself that that's just like not really priority right now. Like I kind of think to myself that, um, you know, the time that I have my son, I want to be with him. And the time that I don't, I want to like, then I've got work to do or I've got, you know, I mean, a laundry list of things that like fulfill me that I don't do, like painting and reading and yoga and like all the stuff that I don't make the time for the relationship thing. Um, I don't really see like the time and energy for it, but I also am like, well, am I just being scared? Am I just like 
traumatized from being in a relationship with an emotionally abusive man that like, I still can't fully walk away from because he lives like a few streets over and my kid is with him half the time. And so not only am I still super emotionally involved because I have to manage my, my child's emotional weight of his relationship with his father, which is not easy either. You know what I mean? It's not like when you break up with someone and you just like walk away and you like have time to get over it. Like, I feel like it's, it's still there all the time. Yeah. Okay. So I want to go there for a minute um, because I feel that there is one limiting belief system we just ran into head on that maybe might help us unlock some of the others. When you bring up your ex-husband and co-parenting and having to be locked into this dynamic with him, what I am hearing is that you have made the decision to continue to engage under a certain set of rules of engagement with this person, where you have a dynamic and you play your part and he plays his part. Tell me how that dynamic doesn't serve you right now. How does it hurt you? That's like an ongoing thing that I think that I I try and like think through. I think that I have ended up in some relationships, both friendship and romantic, where I take, I think I take like emotional responsibility for people. Um, I've been thinking about that a lot recently. Uh Uh-huh. What does it look like when you take emotional responsibility for your ex-husband? How does that show up? I'm angry a lot. (laughs) You're angry a lot? I'm angry. And I'm angry at him. I'm angry at, um, and I I don't know, but I think less for myself than more for like, again, I have to watch my son be like hurt by this relationship um, with his dad. And so I'm trying to talk, coach my child through um, his own ability to listen to himself and trust himself and that, you know, um, I can't fix it. I can't control my ex-husband. All I can kind of try and do is, um, guide my kid through it. Yes. And show your kid what good boundaries look like. Yes. Which I am working on because I am not good at boundaries. Uh (laughs) Okay. That's what I was getting at. You know, boundaries is such an overused term that with any term that we use a lot in our current vernacular, it's really possible that that term gets diluted and that people don't really explore the depth of what that means. And so when I talk about boundaries in this work, it's really about being able to differentiate what you need for your own well-being from what other people are requiring from you for their well-being. And once we can really detangle those two things from one another, that's where we can start to create a boundary to make sure that our actions demonstrate that we will be protecting what is right for us while demonstrating compassion, but not giving up what's right for us, what's in our best interest in order to make someone else more comfortable or happier. And what do you do when you don't have good boundaries? Is it saying yes when you mean no? Is it doing things for them that they should be doing themselves? Like get really specific with me. Yes. Doing, okay. Doing things that they should be doing for themselves. And yes. And saying yes when I mean no. Uh, 
<laughs> yep. And for your ex-husband, what are you still doing for him that he should be doing for himself? I mean, I still end up like I, I got to write the emails to the track coaches and the uh, trying to find a piano teacher and trying to like set up all the appointments. Like I still am managing all the stuff that's like for, for my son, but also, um, you know, for a, a family that I'm not in. Like, Have you asked him to do it? Um, I ask him sometimes. Yeah. Um, and what happens when you ask? It depends. Sometimes he's a, you never really know with him if you're going to like which version of him you're going to get. Um, if you're going to get the charismatic functional one, or if you're going to get the angry, bitter one, um, angry, bitter, punishing one. Um, so, you know, so, so sometimes I, I bring it up and, you know, ask him to do something and, and sometimes he does it and I'm like, okay, good. Good for me. Good. For him. Good. Yep. And, you know, and sometimes it causes like a whole, a whole thing and it becomes more trouble than if I just like did it, which I also understand is like controlling, but. Well, I wouldn't call it controlling, but it definitely is enabling. Yeah. Right. Because it's definitely saying to the person you are too weak or too whatever, whatever, fill in the blank, discombobulated to get this done. And I think one of the lessons I had to learn, it's, it's, it's so funny. I feel like I'm talking to myself as I listen to you describe this co-parenting relationship. You know, when you watch your children be in a situation that feels um, like it will lead to some kind of hurt or disappointment or heartbreak, you know, at the hands of anyone, it is really hard to take your hands off the wheel and allow that experience to shape them but that's what the experience is there for. I understand this need to get in and make sure everything is organized and um, handled and therefore not even asking for the help or engaging with this person like they're an actual co-parent, but really feeling like you're parenting two people is what it sounds like. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Amanda's told us a little bit here about her relationship to her ex-husband and the responsibility she feels to really take hold of the schedule and the activities that need to take place for their son in addition to her ex-husband's emotions. And as I listen to her describe these interactions, a limiting belief system really did pop out, which was that she feels that she is responsible for other people's emotions in order to create safety and security for herself. So that's where you are about to hear me go with her, is that limiting belief system of fixing other people's emotions. One of the limiting belief systems that we have just walked right into is this idea that you are solely responsible for all of this and you cannot rely on this other person to parent with you. Now, that might be true, absolutely true. Clearly, you've devised this strategy based on experience with this person. That said, being a divorced single dad is very different than being married and a father, same way as being a single mom and being a married, right? So 
there is a new kind of code of conduct and order of operations that should, if we weren't holding on to old stories, initiate the minute that we change the structure of our families. And it should be, you and I are equally accountable for things. You and I are now both single parents, equally accountable for this child's experience when they're with us. And when we are emotional fixers and we are enablers, what we do from the beginning is say, nope, this order of operations is going to continue to go the way it did when I was we were married. Of course, naturally things change, schedules change, and, and where your son actually is changes. But I'm talking about the way you emotionally and energetically engage in the care of your child with this person, mm-hmm. which is to say you don't have as much accountability in this interaction with our kid as I do. And what I used to say when I was met with that truth is, yeah, but I don't want my kids to suffer because he doesn't do something or because me asking him to do something puts him in a bad mood and then the kids are with him while he's in a bad mood. I see you nodding vigorously. Right. So I think about that all the time. I like time when I'm going to like bring something up so that he's not there. (laughs) Absolutely. And I will tell you this. This person is your son's father. And there will come a time where your son will have to figure out the reality of who this person is. And the more that we let that time go by as their kids, without them understanding the reality, guess what they do? They fill in the blanks and they make it about them. Mm. Right? So while you want to protect him by trying to really hold on to something you have no control over, which is the way that your ex behaves, while you're trying to protect him, he's getting little snippets of this person when he's with him, right? You just said that. And because he hasn't had the truth to operate with, he's going to create a story and create a limiting belief system. The truth looks more like this. Hey, he needs to get this, what was it you said, track? Yes. (laughs) He needs to get this track schedule organized, you need to reach out to the coach. This is what I'm about to say is going to piss parents off. But I'm just telling you, there's really no other way. Otherwise, we're enabling. Yeah. And your ex doesn't do that. And your son suffers because the day comes and he can't show up to the team. Right? Yes. The, okay. The thing that concerns me, and please help me. Yeah. (laughs) um, Is that it, it all becomes my son's fault. Like, um, that's the way that if, if something isn't right, if something yeah. isn't like where he's supposed to be when he's supposed to be, if something isn't like notified, whatever, like, um, it's, I think I could do a better job of just like letting that go and letting it unfold as it will. And that's, you know, that's his accountability. However, my ex is angry and takes it out on my son. And my son is constantly worried about what's going to make dad angry. So the energy is focused on how to make dad not angry. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. yeah which and sucks. what is the, what is the message that sends? The message that it sends my son is that we have to manage his dad's emotions and that is our job, which is something. Because what? Because what is the value that we're placing on ourselves as the people who have to manage this person's mm-hmm. reactions? Yeah. We are what? Responsible. Less. We are responsible, but we have to be responsible because we 
what, matter less, are less valuable, our anger and our emotions are less important than his? Yeah. Yeah. So when your son, who's going to go through a natural phase of also accessing his anger, begins to feel anger, what do you think the story is going to become about being angry? I am not allowed this emotion. Yes. Which is also something I've been thinking about recently in my own growing up. (laughs) Um, Uh, Yeah. That there's a reason that you are a fixer. Yeah. Because you had to take care of other people's emotions growing up in order to survive. What is your son doing? I mean, I've seen him like what scares me is I've seen him like flip the switch, come in and we've been chatting and he's he's been upset. He's and he's gone back out to the car with his dad. And I have seen I've seen him many times be concerned that he looks like he's been crying. But I've also seen him go back in the car and just like completely about face projecting what he's feeling. And, and what do you tell him about that? We try and, and talk through like what the importance of saying what you're feeling, that what you feel is right and what you feel is okay and that you're allowed to feel it and that like, um, you know, you shouldn't hide that from dad. Like he should know. And, um, you know, but he's scared. Of course. And um, I get that because, you know, I obviously was there too. And, um, you know, I got to leave mostly and uh, he, he didn't. What would you have wanted your mom to say to you then when, when you were younger and you needed to take care of other people's emotions? Well, what I've been wondering a lot lately is if it's my mom's emotions that I grew up responsible for. And I wasn't allowed to be angry. It wasn't okay. I needed to change, adjust my attitude. And like, my mom got to be angry, right? My mom got, I didn't get to be angry. I always had to just like shut it down or I got in trouble for being angry. Since I was 17, that's the worst my relationship has ever been with my parents because mm. um, somehow it seemed to still be about my mom and how hard it was on her uh, and how it brought up her own, like her own divorce, her own stuff that, yeah, I've, very recently been thinking about the fact that like my mom doesn't really ask me about myself. She doesn't really ask me what I'm like doing, what's going on, like what I'm working on. Like, and if I do to start talking about things, I think she, it's, she's wonderful. (laughs) She's very like loving, giving person, but she also has a a whole bunch of her own stuff, but the eyes just like glaze over. And I don't question that she loves me, that she cares. Like I don't, but do I feel like she really knows me or there's room for what I feel going through things. Not so much. Like we talk about her same stories like over and over. And this is a big word to use and I'm not obviously a therapist or diagnosing your mom, but she, parents who have narcissistic tendencies will attract to them energetically children who are highly empathetic. Why is that? They feed off of it. (laughs) Yeah. Because we then are there to support them. And we can feel their feelings and we can fix their feelings before they even have to get involved and engaged in fixing their own feelings. And the limiting belief system that we create is, I am in charge of other people's feelings, otherwise it's not safe. And therefore my feelings are have no place here. My entire survival mechanism is based around making sure other people are okay. Have you heard the term ancestral trauma? Uh, yes. Okay. So if you could visualize 
that you wrote a contract with your mom energetically and said, I will handle all of your emotions. I will forego my own emotions for your well-being, signed in blood. What we do when we create a link of ancestral trauma is hand that contract down to our kids and say, here's a strategy for survival. You will take care of this person's emotions and you will forego your emotions for your own survival. And then he will teach his children the same thing, right? He's so empathetic. He's. I'm not surprised. He has you in him. And he's dealing with someone who sounds like they've got some narcissistic tendencies. Yes. Big time. It doesn't make them like – I'm talking garden variety. I'm not not diagnosing someone as a psychopath. It just means that their survival mechanism was to focus on self as they got older, right? So I get it. I get it. There are plenty of very lovely, wonderful parents who raised us that way. That's not a a judgment on them. It is a reality that – Empathy within you, without boundaries, has become your kryptonite. Your empathy is what helped you to survive with her, right? Your empathy got you into this marriage with someone who has similar tendencies. And because your limiting belief system as a child was, my job is to fix other people's emotions and forego my own, you naturally went into the same relationship. Because when we construct a box... That's all that we see is our reality, right? Is this sense that I have to forego my emotions. In this work of addressing limiting belief systems, we often run into ancestral trauma. And you just heard me ask Amanda if she was familiar with the term. A quick side note, ancestral trauma as I work with it is really the notion that We hand down limiting beliefs based on a need for survival at the time from one generation to the next to the next. And just the simple awareness that we are handing these limiting beliefs down is what helps unlock us from those contracts, from that decision subconsciously to continue to pass that ancestral trauma down. Ancestral trauma obviously has much more deep-rooted and intense meanings when we're talking about things like abuse and racism and other forms of trauma. In this instance, this is just about dynamics around managing each other in a family unit and how, without knowing it, those dynamics that harmed us in that family unit we then teach our children to do as well. What I'm hearing from you, a desire to protect your child, is actually manifesting in that limiting belief system recreating itself within him. Protection of him is actually the more uncomfortable route. So if taking care of other people's emotions and the shit they've got to get done is what's comfortable to you, what is the opposite of that? What would the opposite of that look like? I don't know. I'm in this really like uncomfortable emotional place where I feel a lot of um, distress with how things are and have been. And I'm like recognizing that. Let me ask you about this anger. Can you feel it? Is it near you? Yeah. Can you access it? Great. 
So I actually want to invite, I want you to envision a stage and I want you to envision one spotlight, one microphone. I'd like to invite angry Amanda to take that spot. (laughs) What do you want? What does the anger want? I, so it's a lot directed at my roommate right now. Um, and I don't, and some of that I think is like fair, but I also don't know if that's just the landing place. That's fine. Don't. So let me just ask you a favor. Yes. Let's not judge the anger and let's not tell the anger what is and isn't appropriate. Let's just let it have the stage for a minute. So don't give it a preamble. Don't try to make it sound more palatable to me. Just let it answer the question. What do you want? Anger. Uh, I don't want to be cleaning up after everyone's shit all the time, both <laughs> literally and metaphorically. Why? I'm tired. Why are you tired? Because I'm not getting what I want. I'm everyone else is getting what they want. Why are you not getting what you want? Let anger tell you. Because guess who she's angry at? Me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I know that. So what does she want? Why is she not getting what she wants? Let her say it. God, I don't know if I can. I don't know. Like, <laughs> You know what I keep hearing her say over and over again? Mm. Because you won't let me. Okay. Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah. Why won't you let her have what she wants? What's the worst that can happen if she gets what she wants? Are you afraid that you aren't capable of it? Maybe. What are you afraid of? I don't know if it's the fear of failure or fear of success. I feel like I have like self-sabotaged my entire life. (laughs) You're stuck. Yeah. And when we're stuck, we are paralyzed. Yeah. And the thing that paralyzes us is fear. So let's do this. I actually want you to do it. Will you do a visualization with me for about Mm -hmm. five minutes? Great. Yeah. All right, so just put, make sure your feet are planted firmly on the ground. I like to open my palms up when I do anything like this. It's just a way of saying I'm open to whatever's coming. And just close your eyes and take a really deep breath. I want you to just picture a green pasture. Just picture us standing there, just surveying the rolling hills. And as we're looking around, as you turn your gaze to the left, I just want you to notice a small box-like building. It's literally just walls and a ceiling. We're going to turn left and start walking towards this building. And we walk in. All we see is white. The ground is white. The walls are white. The ceiling is white. I'm going to ask you a question and the walls are going to just start to have words kind of being scrolled on them. And I just want you to tell me the words as they appear. What are you afraid of? I mean, life and success are the first things that come up and that's pretty awful. (laughs) Life and success? Yeah. What else? This is the fear voice. We're letting it just come forward and get some time. What about life is scary right now? You know, that loneliness. Loneliness. What about success is scary? I think the responsibility. 
loneliness, and responsibility. So as these words are scrolling on the walls, how do you feel? Sad. Sad. If you look around the room, there's actually in the corner someone who has sort of like a canvas in front of them and they're writing. It's a very small person. Can you see her? Yeah. Yeah. What does she look like? Little me. <laughs> Little you. So she's afraid of being lonely. She does not like the responsibility she's got on her shoulders right now. She doesn't want more of it. And she's sad. Can you sense how old is she? Oh, man. Maybe like eight. Mm-hmm. Can you walk over to the corner where she's standing with her easel? Just let her get a look of, at you. Mm-hmm. And just kneel down so you're at eye level. For right now, I just want you to look her in the eye so she registers you're there. And just wrap your arms around her. Let her know she's not alone. Just say something like, I've got you. Do you feel anything from her? A little bit of relief. Mm. Tell her what's outside, that it's sunny, there's green hills. Ask her if she wants to take your hand and come outside. She says yes. Okay. Grab her little hand. You're just going to walk across the room towards the door and out onto the sunny pasture again. Very warm. You can feel the sun. There's something else out here that's also communicating. Take a deep breath and really breathe in the ease and calm with which it communicates. What are you hearing? Just the breeze. And if you really listen to the breeze, what is it conveying? Just calm. Can you ask while you're out here, do I have to worry about being lonely? What did you hear? No. No. Can you ask why? It's not enough. Mm. What else does it want you to know right now? I have to let go a little bit. You have to let go. What does it want you to let go of? It's like the weight. There's like a physical like weight and like compression. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's not yours. It's like a weighted blanket that you got as a child that you never asked for. Take a deep breath and as you blow out, I want you to really envision that weighted blanket coming off of your chest and fuse it with the thought, this was never mine. I want you to also just visualize that you're leaving young you out there and that she gets to go play, okay? Tell her that she gets to go play and you'll be back Whenever she feels like she's ready for you to open your eyes, go ahead and take a deep breath and open your eyes. How do you feel? 
a little later. So I want to just reflect to you what I got in the visualization and for you to really consider. And if you want to take notes as I'm talking, this is really kind of the strategy starting to pour through after I was there with you. This idea of loneliness comes from what we saw this eight-year-old who is trapped in this place of fear because she's holding a lot and it's lonely. The responsibility that she wrote on the wall for us is really related to feeling responsible for things that are way outside of her even idea of being able to process, way bigger than her. And so one of the things I would like you to continue is this visualization of the weighted blanket coming off with your breaths because that responsibility she was given was inappropriate. And beneath that responsibility is a whole person full of really wonderful ideas and joy and exploration and curiosity and adventure. But she didn't really get to explore. She didn't get to really manifest those things because this weighted blanket of responsibility really held her down. And so the work right now, Amanda, is to help her release that blanket so she can figure herself out. Because as she gets to explore and she gets to understand herself without the responsibility of other people's emotions, so do you. She will release her grip on your life right now. But that is her strategy right now at the age of eight for survival. And she's brilliant and we thank her for that. But now as an adult, it's time for you to show her that wasn't even appropriate for you to have to do. So my second strategy for you beyond really going back and breathing and spending time with eight-year-old you and really releasing the weighted blanket is when you are in question around what do I want, why can't I move forward? What does forward even look like? Where am I going? I want you to go outside and ask these questions and get still and see what you get. And when you get what you get and you come back inside, just spend a few minutes and write down what you got. And if you can create a little notebook for yourself that is just filled with the things that you're getting when you're outside, sitting in question of these big things, it's almost like I'm getting this sense like, that your intuition is going to write the roadmap for you. But you've got to interact with it. You've got to provide the venue and the stillness, and you've got to capture it so you can remember. And sometimes you're going to get things like let it go. And it may not make sense right in that moment. Maybe it did for you today. But even if it doesn't, it will make sense eventually. So don't write it off if it doesn't make sense to you. But I can tell you that what I picked up in listening to you and in being in your visualization with you is that this sense of paralysis that is driven by fear is driven by a fear of an eight-year-old who isn't really sure who she is without the responsibility of taking care of other people. 
And the key to your freedom, to unlocking your momentum forward so that you get to where you want to go, is allowing her and you to figure out who you are without the responsibility, what you want without the responsibility. And one of the ways to do that beyond the two strategies we just talked about is to get really clear with yourself and accountable around where are you taking responsibility for people's emotions and actions where they should be doing it instead. And now remember, this survival mechanism is decades old and it is brilliant. And so what it's going to do is convince you that you must continue to take responsibility, otherwise dot, 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 end of world scenario. Insert here. That is where the work happens. It's in that moment when that old prehistoric strategy is trying to convince you that if you uphold a boundary, the world's going to end, that you have to do it anyway. And I want to bring this back around to your son. When I say to you that your son deserves the truth, the truth looks like those are his emotions and it's not appropriate for him to make them your problem. We say that. We have a conversation. Good. And if he's angry, first of all, if he's ever unsafe, feeling unsafe, I'm sure you've talked to him about what to do there Mm -hmm. and to make sure he calls you right away. But if he's ever angry, then let's build a strategy with your son about what to do when dad's angry. Walk out of the room. You know, whatever it may be, get yourself away from this angry person. Do not sit there and try to make this person less angry. That is not your work. That is his work. And son, when we do that work for other people, we are telling them they're too weak to do it. And therefore, they will never be able to grab a hold of their emotions. That is empowering. Yeah, because now what you're saying to him is, this isn't yours. This weighted blanket that I carried forever, you don't have to have it. So I said to you at the top, I'm going to give you work to do, right? This is about providing you a strategy. And it sounds like you got to spend a lot of time with little you. You have to go outside and spend a lot of time with higher self because she's got a lot to say. And you need to help your son understand the truth and how little what he's witnessing is about him at all and how it is not his job to make this person happy. That is his father's job. Because what's happening is your son is getting to an age in most states where the minute he says, I don't want to go, No one's going to force him to go. And ultimately, that is for your ex-husband to figure out. So we don't protect people's abusive behavior. We don't sugarcoat people's abusive behavior. We speak truth to what we're seeing. And even for yourself, remind yourself when you're trying to do things to assuage this person. Remind yourself, remind eight-year-old you who's probably at the steering wheel at that moment. No, no, no. Because we are a model for our son and we are not going to trade in our own need for time, freedom, space, emotional neutrality, peace of mind for this person to be okay. What do you think about that strategy? Does it feel doable? Yes, it feels doable, feels helpful. What is your biggest takeaway from our hour together? I think that um, understanding who I am and what I want without 
other people's responsibility and you know making making space to figure that out and um what we what we talked about to help my son i think is really useful to build on what i've been trying to do but also recognize in the ways that i'm not being helpful and remember that if you ever feel stuck or like you don't know the answer it's within you and it's trying to communicate to you so get yourself to a space where you can go hear what your intuitive wise self is trying to say thanks for listening to signal this podcast is hosted by me maury fontanez and produced by myself anais aslami and the talented team at terra firma casey helmick and lauren hall Please join us again next week for another great episode of Signal.